0: what I find is it's hard for other people to emulate it because it's not like this is the best way to do it, but it's my way of doing it. It's not really that I'm like, oh, I'm going to take you on this journey and I'm going to teach you some valuable life lessons. It's more just like, hey, watch me flail. I'm trying to do a thing. That could be the whole tagline for the channel.
1: Welcome to how to make a science video.
2: Why make videos about science?
1: You're listening to Sophie Ward.
2: And Simon Clark, And together we have over 10 years of YouTube experience and, this one's me, a master's in science communication.
1: We both make science videos and we're both curious about how to best share science with the world.
2: This week we're
0: wondering why even make science videos. And we're talking to... My name is Simone Yatch and yeah, my channel is also Simone Yatch. How would you describe the
2: kind of videos you make, Simone?
0: It's such an eclectic collection. I kind of think it of as a journal of my personal build interests, but it's all around building things and problem solving. Sometimes I'll solve problem in the most ridiculous way I can think of. So I used to build a lot of like shitty robots and that was mostly like robotic comedy. And now what I'm doing is actually trying to solve problems in a more genuine way. But it's kind of engineering, entertainment, art, eclectic, crude
2: (laughs) it's a very magical mix do you think
1: of yourself as a science communicator is that a term you would apply to yourself
0: not really but i'm glad that other people are because it means that i get to hang out with all the science communicators which is kind of my favorite crowd on youtube (laughs) you know otherwise I'd, i'd probably hang out with like the woodworkers and they're great but i feel like now i'm kind of getting to hang out with all the physicists and mathematicians and that's kind of my crowd I've always been engineering adjacent, but my videos are thoroughly uneducational by design.
1: I don't know if I'd agree with that, because as a physicist rather than an engineer, like I'm all theory, no practical. I watch your stuff. And I suppose I should clarify this by saying I do a lot of hobbying. So like a lot of miniature painting and I do make things with my hands, Mm -hmm. but not I wouldn't call it engineering. And yet when I watch your videos, I do feel like I learn about, you know, manufacturing techniques and if nothing else, that engineering workflow, mm-hmm. you know, if, uh, identifying a problem and fixing it.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's more just watching somebody do it rather than being like, this is how you do it. Like, they're not tutorials.
2: Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I learn, like, life skills. Like, oh, here's how <laughs> to, like, get over something going wrong. <laughs> like, I learn, like, resilience, which is, you know, <laughs> oh. is that kind of in the psychology form of STEM. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, you are teaching people. This is just going to be us bigging you yeah, up. Yeah, back yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which nothing better than just, yeah, us being like, we love you. Yeah, great.
0: No, but it is. It's like, because people are like talking about that it's science communication. But I mean, I, I'm not an engineer by trade or like I didn't study engineering. So I've always been like really scared to feel like I'm teaching mm-hmm. people things that stepped away from that. And it's like, you can watch me try to solve this problem, but I'm not going to teach you how to solve this problem. Yeah. For me, it's like a differentiation. And if people are in, inspired to try to do things. And I guess that is in a, some sort of science communication spirit. So what is your background then? I mean, it's, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just living large off of a high school diploma. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I loved school. I was a straight A student. I studied really hard. I thought I would go into academia. Like I wanted to be a biologist or an astronaut or yeah. You know, and then I started studying physics because that was kind of the hardest thing you could do. And I really wanted to prove to myself that I was smart. But then after a year, I was like, you know what? This doesn't feel right. I feel like I chose it for the wrong reasons. And I quit. Also, I wasn't that good at it. So I quit (laughs) and dropped out. And then I studied advertising for a year. Advertising. Just, you know, hopping back between different jobs. And then I kind of got into programming and electronics and just hacked my way forward.
1: You've been making videos for how long now?
0: Eight years.
1: And as you say, like your content has evolved a lot over that time. I mean, was there a specific reason that you started making YouTube videos in the first place?
0: When I was at the advertising school, I started tinkering with electronics and I really, I just built one hardware project. And off of that, I managed to get an internship at an electronics company. And my job was just to use their microcontroller. They had this Bluetooth microcontroller and find different fun use cases for it and write tutorials, which was a great way for me to learn. And then, you know, I was kind of feeling restrained having to represent somebody else's brand and somebody else's product as much as they were super open to me and to my ideas and very supportive, you know, you're still feeling burdened by like having to justify the decisions that you make. And I wanted to build weirder stuff. (laughs) So the reason I started posting things on YouTube was actually because I wanted to do a kids show about electronics. And I built this toothbrush helmet for myself. And I wanted to shoot a pilot episode around it for this kids show, which is granted like, I was using Photo Booth and iMovie. Like, I had no qualifications to do this other than thinking that I could... Everyone's got
1: to start somewhere. Listen,
0: everyone has to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I never heard back from the Swedish broadcast network. And I was like, well, I have this toothbrush helmet. I might as well post about it. Actually, a year later, they came back to me and they're like, oh my God, we would love to talk. But then I was like so often running on YouTube. And I was like, sorry, too late.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This toothbrush helmet has sailed. Like, it's gone. Yeah, totally.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: And in making your first videos, I mean, everybody has like references. I mean, did you have specific creators that you looked up to and you sort of learn from and maybe try to emulate?
0: Jenna Marbles... Definitely. I love that. What a great show. Yeah, I love Jenna Marbles and I watched a lot of her stuff. I grew up watching Mythbusters. I think that was a big inspiration as well. And then there were some of the maker. I mean, I remember having been across like Colin Force's content before, kind of gave a point of reference for like making content or, or like build content rather. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I think I think most of the inspiration was around the comedy stuff. And then like slash r slash shitty robots on Reddit was a big inspiration because there was a lot of really good, fun, weird robots there.
2: Oh, wait, so was shitty robots on Reddit a thing before you like kind of mm-hmm. started using the shitty robots label? Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: So that's why you were the queen of shitty robots. There were lots of people in the kingdom, but you were the top of the pyramid.
0: I mean, that was where people started referring to me as, because they were like, you were the queen of slash r slash shitty robots, like that I was the queen of that subreddit, because I was voted like best user 2015 or something like that. You know, I'm living off of old merits here. <laughs> no, yeah, something like that. I don't yeah. fully remember. Yeah, something, some, some huge honor like that, yeah. Yeah, no, whatever. But... Yeah. And then the slash R kind of dropped. And then it was just the queen of shitty robots, which is not something I would have chosen for myself. But I was like, okay, I'm just going to run for it. And now I kind of dropped it.
2: Yeah. Actually, I was going to ask this later on, but I feel like now's a good time to ask it because you kind of went through this transition on your channel from being like, yeah, I make shit robots to kind of being like, well, hang on a minute. now I'm a creative person who's going to chase my creative ideas. And if there's mistakes along the way, that's part of the creative process. Like, how important was that shift for you in terms of how happy you were with what you were making, but also in terms of your kind of brand? Like, was that like a very conscious decision? Like, I need to get out of this shitty robot thing.
0: I mean, it was always a conscious decision. And I knew when I started it and started, like, getting some traction around the shitty robot stuff is I, like, I knew that I didn't want to pigeonhole myself or that that was a risk that I was going to run into and that like there's going to be a day where the joke is over and I want to be the first person to leave. Mm -hmm. So I think that was kind of always in the back of my head of just thinking like, okay, how can I build longevity in this? How do I make sure that I'm interested in it still and that other people stay interested? And I mean, it's really scary to give up something that, you know, works well, like you find a format and it's like finding success on the Internet and kind of like almost accidentally going viral. Felt like stumbling on such a lottery ticket and you're like, what are the odds that I'm going to get another chance at this if I if I pivot to something? But I was kind of able to like soft pivot over the years and people were really good about it how much you split your brand from yourself and how much is it about Mm. the topic that you're talking about and how much is it about you. And I think for me, it's always kind of been a 50-50 split Mm. or maybe 70-30 where it's like 30% about me, 70% about the thing that I'm building. And the thing about it being partially about me, I think really made that transition to making slightly different content a lot easier.
1: The impression I get is the 30% that's you is it's your journey that you go on that forms the backbone for the video. And so in a way, like, do you see yourself as like you're bringing the audience along with you as like you are the proxy for them, like you are showing them an experience that you've had?
0: It's not really that I'm like, oh, I'm going to take you on this journey and I'm going to teach you some valuable life lessons. It's more just like, hey, watch me flail. I'm trying to do a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That could be the whole tagline for the channel just watch me play watch me play yeah <laughs> yeah
2: yeah get that on like the cover the banner that's it. yeah that is kind of it though
1: because one of the questions we ask people is what role do you give yourself in the video like i suppose you're like a curious student in that case like you're not presenting yourself as an authority figure mm-hmm. but you are a student that is like i'm like you in the audience basically
0: yeah i don't know but i'm definitely not i don't know what i am but i definitely know that i'm not an authority figure and that was a very conscious choice on my end
2: I'm just going to dip in here because I think Simone mentioning... That she's not an authority figure is really important because in science communication there's something that's known as the transmissive method which is this idea that when we are science communicators or scientists we are someone who is imparting our wisdom on someone else
1: similar to teachers in school they're the person that knows this stuff and you're there to learn this stuff
2: exactly and in that case they're sometimes often physically elevated from you as well it's this higher person giving you information in your face and there's a lot of discussion on how this isn't a great way to actually engage people and I think Simone has hit the nail on the head here that What really matters is bringing people in and in her case it's a much more experiential type of communication. She's getting people to live through her this experience of finding out and engineering something literally. I just wanted to dip in because I think it's really refreshing when you see cases that aren't transmissive.
1: And much more true to how the scientific method actually works.
2: 100%. Yeah because we've talked about that like how you choose to pitch yourself and I think Sometimes in, like, science content, people can be like, well, I'm the expert on this. It's the transmissive form of teaching. It's like, boom, this is on you. You're definitely not that. And it's what makes it so great as well.
0: Looking back, I think there's a few different things that went into that. One is that I wasn't an expert. Like, I was learning. I've been learning to build things on YouTube. Like, there's nothing being like, ooh, I'm a fully formed inventor. Watch me be magnificent. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't an expert. But also what I realized later on is that it's a way to protect myself against sexism as well. Mm -hmm. Because people hate women who are authority figures, yeah. and who are experts. And I realized that it was a defense mechanism where I was like, oh, I'm super threatening. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah. a little bit cute, and I'm going to twirl my hair. Oops, something flew in my face. And I think that's something that I've tried to step away from more. Like, I'm definitely still learning, you know, I can be ignorant and stupid in moments. But I'm not going to play more dumb than I am just to make my yeah. male audience comfortable. I think that's
2: such an interesting thing, actually. Yeah. When you're doing something like this, you can feel as well the more you put your personality in it, the more it like devalues your like approach and opinion because it's that, you know, that woman with a personality, Mm. she can't know what she's doing because she's funny at the same time. Like, this is serious, it's engineering. What I think you do really well is you do bring that personality in. I think it's so valuable. I do think, though, as well, like, I wonder, you initially do that thing as a defense mechanism, like, oh, I'm just here going to twirl my hair. And then you start absorbing it yourself. Did you feel like that happened at all? Or were you the whole time, like, I'm playing a character here a little bit, or did you start sort of letting that, I don't know, imposteriness seep in?
0: You know, I don't know if I was ever if I was ever playing a character, but it was definitely like things were going wrong, and I embraced it and played off of it. And I don't think that the imposter syndrome is, it didn't grow more across the time. I don't feel like I've never really had that imposter syndrome because I've always been very transparent with where I'm at you know, and not try to hide any lack of skill rather than like embracing it and trying to figure it out together with my audience. So yeah, it was less like feeling like I had to cover up incompetence, but rather than like, hey, I actually know how to do this. I'm comfortable with saying that, even though I know that that opens up for a lot of people in the comments being like, oh my God, I can't believe you didn't do it like this. And you're like, trust me, I thought about it. And there's five reasons I didn't do it like that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly.
1: This is something that we did actually talk about before we started recording. But in terms of feedback from comments, I mean, how much do you read the comments and how much does that change either the subjects that you cover Or the way in which you make your videos?
0: Oh, I read the comments for like the first hour after posting a video just to make sure that there's nothing unexpected controversial about it or some angle that I didn't think about or something that I should address. And then after, yeah, I don't really read the comments that much. But granted, like I have I get the nicest comments. People are so sweet. It's One of the kindest corners I've ever found on the internet. So it's not that I'm like staying away from it because people are vicious. It's just, yeah, you go off and you do other things. You know, I'll I'll listen to feedback and try to incorporate that. But it's more like, oh, the audio levels weren't great or something like that. But then otherwise, it's like I'm kind of building things for an audience of one and that audience is me and I need to make sure that I'm happy and then just trust that if I like it, then other people probably do too.
2: Yeah, a good mindset. Back to kind of a more kind of structural question. Could you like walk us through how you approach making a new video from kind of like, you know, how do you generate your ideas through to the pros of it being like finished, published? What's kind of the timeline of that?
0: So I have a running list of ideas that I'm kind of like, yeah, that's like kicking around in a to do list on my phone. And, you know, usually it's we try to plan um, two or three months ahead so we can go out and sell videos to sponsors because that is the core of how I manage to justify spending so much time on this. And yeah, I pick something that I'm interested in and the ideas kind of come all across the board. It'll be like, Walking my dog or thinking, oh, this is kind of a problem that I want to solve in some way, or just thinking of a fun visual of some sort. And then once we've locked that in on a schedule, I start sketching on how I want to do it, think about how I would actually build it. Sometimes depending on the complexity, I'll bring in my engineer Stu who works at the product business, but I kind of call him my early feasibility consultant, where I'm like, mm, is this really <laughs> stupid for some reason I haven't been able to predict? And he says, yeah, and then you say, let's do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a good kind of engineer that's just like, you know what, it's going to be hard, but what if we do it like this? Yeah. But yeah, and then I probably spend, I mean, depending on the project, I spend between a week and a month building it and filming and kind of try to edit a little bit throughout. And yeah, then like a week to 10 days on editing full time and then publish it and then fret over what thumbnail I should use.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. And switch it out repeatedly and then yes. switch the title. Yes. And yeah,
0: that's intense. Actually, the one I just posted. Let's see how it's doing.
1: For the listeners at home, Simone has just released a video. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I just posted a video. Oh, yeah. It's five out of ten. It's doing okay.
2: Middle of the pack. Oh, there it is. The out of ten. Apparently there's an option to hide that now. Oh, really?
0: There is now.
1: I downloaded a, um, well, I added a Chrome extension where it just blocks that bit Oh, really? Like, I don't see my comments on the dashboard and I don't see out of 10. Yeah, there's an extension that allows you to hide elements. I
0: like the out of 10 because I feel like it kind of gives me the most valuable data point. I don't like looking at data, but that is like, okay, it's doing all right comparatively, but I don't like the other stuff. And I don't like the little, like... um, generated uh, insights that it gives you where it's like fewer regular viewers are choosing to watch this video and you're like I almost never check any data other than comments like all I want to care about is do the people who watch it like it Mm. that's it I think the analytic oh some stuff I would never check is at what point in the video did people drop out Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also, I have heard, which I am absolutely terrified of opening. I'm never going to open it. Is it on Patreon? You can write why you chose to stop pledging for somebody. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Would never touch that. I have a friend who is like, sometimes I'll, like, torture myself and go in and read those things. And I'm like, I cannot. No. I mean, well done for
2: being able to not. Because I feel like for me, it's like... A burning building like I can't look away I'm like oh I guess I'll just check and maybe yeah but well done for being able to not
0: I don't even know where I've never opened it I don't want to know where it is it's there's nothing I don't even know that the building is burning <laughs> okay yeah. yeah
1: so to look back actually to something you mentioned before
0: I had this impression
1: that there was like quite a large team I mean that because Your videos are so high quality and they seem so well constructed and thought through. I just assume that there was quite a large team surrounding you. I mean, how many people are actually involved? Because what you've just described sounds like it's majority you doing the filming and editing and all the writing and stuff.
0: My assistant Anna films and she does sometimes like a rough cut. So she'll take the footage and synchronize it and like cut out any bad takes. But yeah, that's pretty much it on the video side. And then the rest is just... I'll do the writing. I have people that I send it out to for feedback. My mom gives feedback. Your mom does. <laughs> yeah, my friend Yvette
2: gives feedback. Oh, cute. Do you have to follow all of your mom's feedback? Or are you sometimes like, mom, that's lame. You don't know. I'm going to keep this in. No, I know. <laughs> she
0: has really good feedback. She's great. She cuts through the bullshit. Of course, it's a hit or miss or if I take it or not. But yeah, it's kind of fluctuated. I've worked with editors on and off, but it's just hard because I always have a picture in my head of how I want it to be cut together as we're shooting it. And that can be really hard for somebody who's not there Mm. with me or specifically in my head to know those things. So I've ended up kind of taking that back but I need to hire somebody to help me because it's I mean this is one of the reasons why it takes me such a long time to put out content is one I'm running a whole separate business with the product business Mm. but also it's like I'll sit yeah for a week and edit a video which is Mm. just unfeasible in the long run.
2: I think it's hard though, isn't it? Because so much of your videos, like you said, a big focus of them is comedy. And a lot of that comedy doesn't just come from the script, it comes from the editing. And I think that's such a part of your personality and the comedy in it. So it would be really hard to give that away.
0: Yeah. What I find is it's hard for other people to emulate it because it's not like this is the best way to do it, but it's just, it's my way of doing it. And yeah, I think a lot of the personality of the video comes out in the cut. So Yeah, I mean, it would be great to have somebody do that because I don't love it, but until then, I'm happy to do it.
1: Captain's Log. We appear to be in a star-forming region of space, a nebula. But instead of large, bloated, loud balls of gas, the stars being formed here are very different. They're stars of online educational video, making long-form content about science, geopolitics and video games, among other subjects. That's right, Captain Picard. Nebula is a streaming service owned by a collection of creators, including Sophie and I, that hosts innovative, educational, and inspirational content from some of your favourite video and podcast makers. You can listen to all episodes of How to Make a Science video ad-free on Nebula, but you can also watch exclusive content from other creators such as Our Changing Climate, Lindsay Ellis, Wendover Productions, and many more. Exclusive content includes individual videos from your favourite creators, but also entire series such as jet lag and red atoms get access to nebula by signing up at go.nebula.tv slash htmasv that's our special how to make a science video link and by using it you can get 40 percent off a membership plan and support the show again that link is go.nebula.tv slash htmasv computer put nebula on the main view screen engage So to zoom out again and ask another sort of very big question, when you come up with an idea for a video, let's say you decide that you're going to make whatever video it is. Do you define what your intended outcomes are? Like, do you have learning objectives or is it just I want to make this video? How do you, uh, you know, design a video out of that concept?
0: Oh there's no learning objective. There's nothing. I'm not thinking about other people when I do this assignment. I'm just thinking about what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, "Ah, oh, right. I had to film a video to justify it." Okay, let's let's put up a camera. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's no grand thought behind it. There's no plan or learning incentive. It's more just chasing some visual that I think would be interesting or some story or some concept that I want to explore.
1: And so, I mean, apart from your videos being for you, do you have an audience in mind? I'm sensing a theme here. So
2: i like, are you thinking of anyone but yourself? <laughs> 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 uh,
0: not really. No, I don't have an audience in mind. There's no like audience thinking you know, I started doing this because I thought it would be funny. And then it's very much like, hey, if anyone wants to come on this joke train, there are more seats. I definitely thought about who the audience is not. I've never made my videos kid-friendly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's in part of because I cuss a lot and I have a on-and-off very crude sense of humor and I didn't want to censor that. But also because, you know, looking back, I realized I think I was upset that i feel like that is a bracket that any woman gets put in as well because it's always like oh there's a woman doing cool things she must be doing it for the children and i'm like no bitch i'm doing this for myself <laughs> oh, <laughs> Wait, what is that thing? I'm not so well, Mary Poppins. Woman, yeah, exactly. Like, nanny's going to entertain you. I mean, obviously, I haven't lived life as a man, so I don't have a point of reference, but I feel like there's always been this narrative of like, oh my God, it's so great that you're doing that to inspire young girls. And I'm like... <laughs> No young girls watching this. And and if that happens, that's great. But that's not the reason. Yeah. I don't give a shit about young girls. No, I do. <laughs> and whenever I get a little video of like a kid who's like dressed like me for Halloween, of course, it fucking pokes at my heart. You know, I've always been like, why do you assume that I do that? And whenever the narrative is around a man who's inventing things, it's like, ooh, he was a man on a mission to change his life. <laughs> You know, I'm like, I'm like, I want so. the Discovery Channel voiceover too, and not be like, oh, look at her, she's cute for the children. Yeah,
1: you're running on vibes. What What I'm learning <laughs> in this interview is, Gertz <laughs> is a channel powered by vibes, <gasps> vibes. and nothing it's vibes. else. It's
0: all, all gut feeling, yeah. And I think, honestly. Mm. I think, yeah, they're, they're strokes for different folks or whatever the saying is. But for me, it's like I think that is what really has given me a lot of longevity in my career because I'm really focusing on my own creative satisfaction and enthusiasm. And I mm-hmm. think that is kind of what's at the core of my YouTube channel is that I'm doing things that I'm actually excited about. Like I'm not acting like I'm excited about them. And I think people can really perceive that. And also it's like, I think being kind of audience agnostic is what makes you discover new things that you wouldn't discover otherwise. Like anybody can run the data and look at it and try to see what's trending right now. But it's like, I'm just a weird fish in a coral reef and I built this cool little nook for myself.
1: I love that image.
0: Yeah. Any other fish that want to join can join. Yeah. I love that.
2: I feel like it's actually the other people we've spoken to and they're kind of more reaching that point now of, oh, I've made videos to chase the algorithm, blah, blah, blah. But now they're like, now I'm going to do things I care about. And you've just done it from the beginning.
0: I mean, I think in the beginning it's like I was going for like viral hits with the shitty robot stuff and I'm doing that less now. And I think it's like you kind of as a YouTuber, I feel like you end up in your golden era. And that is where you're like, okay, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And you have hopefully an audience that is down to watch. And it's like, yeah, it's definitely at the detriment of growth and everything. But like, I'm kind of just poking around and having fun. And Mm. I think that I'm proud of the content that I'm putting out.
1: You like how all ex-presidents... Like, take up painting or something. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, I've done my time <laughs> yeah. doing the hard work. Yeah, You're in that era. Uh,
0: yeah.
2: Post-presidential Simone. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: PPS. post robots. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just over here painting. Yeah,
2: PQOS. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, when Simon said your channel runs on Vibes, that immediately I pitched a video like, I built a robot that's only run on Vibes. Like, <laughs> like what would that even mean?
0: I'm thinking that there are probably some bionic sensors there's sensors some sensors you could put on your body to check how you're feeling. So it's like testing your pulse and your mm, oxygen levels. Dopamine and do- Dopamine, yeah, like anything, right? It's like, can you measure what the internal vibes of your body are and then somehow have the robot mimic that?
1: Mm. There was that Jason Statham movie Crank where he has to keep like his heart rate above a certain level. I'm now imagining a version of that, but it's your dopamine levels. Like yeah. you have to keep yourself happy, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: you know, for as long as possible in order to keep this thing functioning.
2: To so make the robot live, yeah, the robot. Yeah. If, if you yeah. get too sad, the robot goes, "Don't kill me, don't oh, kill
0: no. me." <laughs> <That'd> <laughs> Quick, watch clips. Yeah. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> Although now I'm picturing the robot like also like a disco ball esque thing, so it actually does music and lights that match your mood based on what uh. the sensors are saying. Oh. It would
0: be amazing. Like, I would love to live in a world where I had movie music playing that matches the mood. So, you could have that.
2: Well, you can make that happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's another question. It's a bit more one of the more set ones we've been asking. But have you had any videos that have really surprised you in terms of the audience response or surprised you in any way?
0: I think a lot of them, people are kind of reacting in the way that I expect them to. Now I'm sounding so cunning and so calculating. (laughs) But something that surprised me, I did a video where I locked myself in my bathroom for 48 hours. And that one, like, was my most watched video forever. I think maybe it still is. I think that really surprised me because that was a weird one really and i don't know why people watched it that's interesting
1: it has a very specific energy and that's like an early youtuber like dan howell like you know that era of like vlogtube when that was really big
0: Mm -hmm. that's also just like good thumbnail title where it's like oh that's weird yeah Mm. and like challenge content
1: There was the video you did about, was it adding another window to your studio? And the thumbnail (laughs) was brilliant because it's just you with a hammer looking at a window. And I was like, this has such a threatening aura. (laughs) Like the vibes in this video, again, vibe-based content. Yeah,
0: because that one did fairly well. So I ended up building, after lots of backs and forth, building a stained glass window for my house. Mm. But I remember, yeah, the title is me outside of a window with a hammer. And the title, or that's the thumbnail, and the title is why are windows so boring? Mm. And I realized that like what I want in a thumbnail is somebody to be like, oh my God, what is she about to do? <laughs> yeah, it's the frame <laughs> before a nightmare, basically. Yeah, and I think like the thumbnails that make you ask questions or you're like, what? Why would? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one definitely hit that. Yeah. Even if the question is just what? Yeah. Yeah, what? Oh, well
1: the phrase that a lot of creators that we speak to is curiosity gap right like that gap between what the thumbnail and the title are promising and what you want to know mm-hmm. like has to be a certain level And i think that's a really great example yeah of that we finish these chats by asking our guest the same five rapid fire questions starting with if i gave you a million dollars what video would you make with that budget
0: I mean, I'm, I'm working on a pilot episode for a show that is about everyday objects. So, yeah, we we'll probably just use that as partial funding for a first season.
1: I love the idea that the budget is a million dollars and you go, that's partial funding. Yeah. <laughs> OK, that's that's, you know, that's a section of this video has been sorted.
2: Yeah. I'm disappointed you didn't say it's going straight into the Vibe robot, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <The> Vi- <laughs> that's a very different kind of robot. Yeah. 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 I was going to say the
2: Vibe bot sounds a little bit like, yeah, love honey. Yeah, different, <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's another question. What one change would you make to YouTube to improve the site?
0: I mean, I think the fact that they're going to let you A-B test thumbnails is amazing. Yeah. yeah,
1: we've been asking for that for years. That's
0: going to be huge. I think other than that, I don't know. I don't spend that much time on the platform because I like Mm -hmm. post a video once a month or once every two months. And then I'm like, peace, I'm out.
2: (laughs) Do you always preview them? Because your one today was a preview. Do you always preview your videos? Was that
0: as a premiere? Premiere.
2: Premiere. Sorry, not premiere. Thanks, guys. Sorting out my lingo.
0: No, I don't. This was figured why not. I was having breakfast and thought I might as well, but it's kind of fun.
1: Oh, because I was about to ask, is there a strategy to that? But I'm pretty sure this was another decision (laughs) based on vibes. I was
0: hanging out with my friend Laura, Laura Kampf, who lives in Germany. And she has a very strict uploading schedule. And she posts video on every Sunday around a specific time. So she has such a thriving community around her premieres. And it's like people meet and there's a whole culture in the comment section. And they have all these like weird games that they run. And, you know, and I was just like, oh, that's really nice. So I think it it feels like a more interactive comment section. So I think I might do that more. Yeah, it's a bit like streaming, isn't it? Have you ever done streaming? No. No? Why? No. I don't know. I mean, okay, once again, because I want to make content that I like and that I would consume, I don't watch streamers. Mm. So I don't think I would do that because it's not something that I consume myself. But maybe if I start watching some streamers, I'll start streaming. But also it seems really scary.
1: The next question. What do you think educational video will look like in 10 years time? And I know that you don't describe yourself as educational per se. But in that broad sphere, what do you think is going to change?
0: You know, something that would be really cool is if you just generate a video that is specifically on the topic that you want, because I have such a specific if I end up watching an educational video, it's because I want to learn something very specific and being like, hey, can you make a video about this? And then having that Yeah, and then we're all out of jobs.
2: Oh, yeah, being like AI generated. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Are you thinking you might use any AI? I'm guessing the answer will be no because you want it to be your vibes. But do you think you use any AI tools for your videos?
0: I mean, I would be really curious if there are AI editors that you could use. And I know that Premiere is doing some early testing on that where it like puts the B-roll over your footage. And yeah, that I would definitely use. Other stuff, Now I'm having too good of a time myself.
2: Nice. Okay. And then our next question is, other than yourself and us, obviously, mm-hmm. what is one creator? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we may not be been your answer. Obviously you're gonna say obviously you're us. Obviously you're gonna say That's us, fine. yeah. What's one creator that you think everyone should watch?
0: Laura. She's one of my best friends and is amazing and such a hard worker. I think that Cleo Abram is making really cool things. Yeah. And I'm excited to watch her career unfold. Yeah, maybe I just do that. Nice. Okay. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And then final question, even more specific, other than videos made by the three of us on this call and by any of those people you've just mentioned, what's one video you think everyone should watch?
0: Oh, gosh, I don't know. These are such hard questions, you guys. Yeah, they are They're coming hard. up with a heavy hitter. <laughs>
1: putting you on the spot.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I got no good answer. I can't even remember a video that I watched.
1: Give us a bad answer. What's the last video you remember watching that you enjoyed?
0: A tutorial on audio gain on Premiere. Great. Everyone
2: should watch that because there's a lot of gain problems when you watch videos. But people's audio is so bad these
0: days. I'm still (laughs) confused about what the difference between volume and gain is. But I tried to because that was something I got some feedback on on my last video and that I tried to remedy in this one, making sure that the audio is a bit better.
1: You know... The way that I imagine in like five years' time, we've done loads of seasons of this podcast, mm. and someone's gonna make a table of like every creator and the video they chose. And someone's gonna be like, Why does Simone choose this tutorial on like <laughs> you know, gain in <laughs> Premiere? And people are like, oh, what what was her intention? Like it's yeah. she's making a statement. Deep message. No. Because <laughs>
0: she's trying to be better. There we go. There's the message. Yeah.
2: So, Simon, what did you take away from that chat?
1: There was so much that Simone talked about that really resonated with me. But I think perhaps it's because I've been a creator that's done this job for a long time as well. Something that really struck me was how who you make videos for changes as your career progresses. And Simone described that she was in this golden age where she's just making videos for herself. And I feel like her content is all the better for it. Even though, you know, views maybe may not be as high as they were in some previous videos, I think the quality of what she makes shines through because it's obvious she's just doing it for herself. And I think, is it a cliche to say that's the truest audience that you should always be striving for?
2: I don't think it's a cliche at all. I think it's something that a lot of people don't end up doing, but it would be valuable if we already reflected on that and made sure that we were doing things that served us as well. Which is
1: difficult when you're doing SciComm because the target audience may not be the same level of science capital. They may not be the same type of person as you are. You as somebody who understands this stuff and does science communication is quite a small fraction of people on earth. And so saying make things that you yourself enjoy isn't necessarily the most obvious piece of advice, obviously, you know, good piece of advice that it may seem
2: that's true. I think that it often depends on which part of yourself you're reflecting in what you do. So if you're reflecting the part of yourself that just likes to have fun and keep trying things, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're reflecting the high size capital or the, or the mainly scientific mm. parts of yourself. I thought what was really interesting in this talk with Simone, in reflection to what you said, is how often it re-came up that she was like, no, I'm just doing this for me. I'm just doing this for me. Like there were so many little ins that we were like, yeah, but what about this? And like, you know, how do you see success? Well, it's personal success. But yeah, but what about your audience? Well, it's kind of just for me and I just loved how certain she was in that. She
1: was very comfortable in the clothes she was wearing. Yes. You know. <laughs> what about you? What did you take away from it?
2: I took away the idea of failure
1: on our part or
2: maybe <laughs> I was quite flustered, let's be honest. No, what I love about Simone's videos, and it just became even clearer in the conversation, is that failing in a process is a key part of the process. And if you fail at something, it shouldn't belittle how knowledgeable you are about the thing or how good you are at the thing or whether you have a right to be doing the thing. And I think it's very easy as a science communicator or as someone making videos to... If you if something goes a bit wrong, you can think, oh, I'm so silly, how did that happen? But I think Simone's confidence in herself is what I love to see and what's so important to see that that confidence can coexist with also getting things wrong occasionally. I
1: think it also does a great deal to erode the barrier between scientists and The lay person. Exactly. You know, this idea that in a lot of science communication, it's these science people are geniuses. They are different from you. This is why people love programmes about Einstein and Newton and stuff like that, because they were different. And I think by showing failures, as you say, it's part of the scientific process, but it also shows that they're human. Mm. And it makes scientists and so science much more relatable
2: and interesting you say about the human thing because i think that's reflected in simone's work as well and in what she was saying there's such a human core to it whether it's because she's doing what she genuinely cares about or it's about the human who does like make mistakes or does follow their creativity and then overcomes barriers in the production of something that humanity i think is really key in science communication
1: Okay, well, that's all for this episode. Next time, we're talking to... I'm Kevin McKay. Online, I'm known as Bobby Broccoli. I'm telling stories that I am interested in. I'm trying to, like, teach people about a topic they probably wouldn't have otherwise looked up. Like, there's the hook that people are interested in, and then there's the science, and I need to balance that.
2: Thanks again to Simone for joining us. You can check out her videos on youtube.com slash Simone Yetch. Thank you for listening to How to Make a Science Video, a Nebula podcast. The producer was Simon Clark. Our music and editing were provided by Fergus Hall and our artwork by Lizzie Fiakovsky. If you enjoyed this episode, please do recommend the podcast to your friends and rate us on your podcasting service of choice.